I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. On DAB, digital radio, online and on 1089 and 1053 AM, this is Motty Meats. The emperor of fervent football punditry majestically sits atop of his sheepskin-adorned throne as he holds court with a football legend. Motty Meats on Talk Sport. Hello there, this is John Motson, and on this edition of Motty Meets, I'm joined by the scorer of one of the most famous goals in the history of the FA Cup, the Hereford United and FA Cup legend, Ronnie Radford. Tremendous spirit in this Hereford side, they're not giving this up by any means. Radford. Now Tudor's gone down for Newcastle. Radford again. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Radford the scorer! Ronnie Radford! Well, arguably, the most iconic goal in the history of the FA Cup. Uh, I wish uh, I had a fiver every time they played that bat, Ronnie. I bet you do too, don't you? That's a bit lovely, John. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the memories are more, wor- worth more than the fiver. Now, Ronnie, let's start at the very beginning here. We'll come on to the goal and the cup run later. You're a proud Yorkshireman, uh, born in South Elmsall in 1943, but... I'm told that you were a Sunderland supporter. That's right. Uh, in the time of Len Shackleton's era. And um, I used to fill scrapbooks with everything about Sunderland. And um, one of my dreams was to someday, hopefully, go and watch them play. And little did I know that um, later on in my life, I would go to Roker Park and actually play at Roker Park. This was in the FA Youth Cup for, Shef- is, for Sheffield Wednesday? That's right, FA Youth Cup. We played Sunderland in a, a two-leg final. We drew at home 0-0 and then lost at Sunderland 1-0. But I'll never ever forget my, my day there and um, that's one of my memories that uh, I treasure. Now, from Sheffield Wednesday, you moved on to Leeds United... That's what, right. What, what sort of was this? The sort of the, the beginning of the Great Leeds era, or did, well, did yeah, you not quite? It was the beginning because um, the reason I left was uh, I'd been I'd been three seasons at Sheffield. I was an amateur, um, playing with mostly, you know, sort of apprentice uh, professionals, uh, up to under 18s. I played in nearly all the matches uh, for three years. And at the time, Harry Catterick was manager for Sheffield. And that's when he actually moved to Everton. Well, his assistant was a guy called Maurice Lindley. And um, when Maurice moved to Leeds, I got a message from him to get in touch with him. uh, And he said, you know, would you be willing to go full-time, Ron? And I was taken aback, of course, I spoke to my mum and dad and um, got their advice. I said, told him I'd get back to him. And I decided that I couldn't miss a chance. And, and so I signed for Leeds. Now, Don Revy? Don Revy. Don Revy had come, went in second division. Mm-hmm. And it was that, that season before Big John come, John Charles from Italy. Because, of course, he'd and been to, at Juventus, hadn't he? That's yeah. right. Yeah. And the junior team uh, that I were playing in at Leeds... It was Sprake, Reaney, Norman Hunter, Cooper, and they were all in the junior team at that time. And, um, you know, it it was, you know, great to see how they progressed later on in life because 
you know, I, I saw, I've seen some of them in between and uh, exchanged, you know, best wishes oh, and whatnot. So. Well, famous names, Ronnie, and they went on to great things, didn't they? That's um, right. But <laughs> slightly different for Ronnie Radford because for, for one reason or another, you found yourself playing part-time for Cheltenham Town after that. That's right. It was close season and as you know, um, when you're on a free transfer... Uh, I think your name goes around all the league clubs and um, I'd waited uh, through July and no offers had come along. So I was thinking then about getting a job and, um, you know, uh, waiting to see what come after that. But I had a, I had a telegram from uh, Cheltenham to say, would I be prepared to go down and have an interview and with the, with the prospect of, of signing for Cheltenham who played in the Southern League Premier Division, which was actually, it was a good league because the gates were uh, big, two, three, four, five thousand. And um, believe it or not, at that time, one of the main teams was Hereford United. And, um, you know, we played against them a few times. And uh, who knows, uh, I never realised that one day I will be playing for them. And when you were, you were a part-timer. You were I working as a joiner. That's right, part-time, joiner, working for myself, subcontract. And, um, yeah, a lot of people think that, you know, it's easy, but um, you have to make a lot of sacrifices, you know, when, when you, you, you're doing something that you're doing with a passion. And, um, you know, I trained as hard as I could. And, um, you know, I think I got the rewards that those those attitudes, uh, you know, I took. Well, I'm sure you did. And when you signed for Hereford United in 1971, <laughs> who should be manager but John but Charles? John Charles, yeah. And, and yeah, and, and the, other, the other thing um, about that is that the year before, which I know you will know, um, I played for Newport and we played at your old club, Barnet. Barnet. Yes. And sure enough, we lost 6-1, and three of them goals were scored by Ricky George. Amazing, isn't it? That's amazing, isn't Whose it? Whose name will come up again as we go through. Um, now, John Charles then left Hereford as, as player manager, and Colin Addison Yeah, took he started over. the season. Right. Uh, they started the season with John still in charge. Uh, and then, you know, uh, we, we had a good squad together, it just needed, you know, somebody to, to make that squad work. And um, when Colin came, he was still a first division player with Colin. And to have him on the pitch and try and live up to his, his expectations, that sort of, you know, gelled us all together because we knew that if we didn't play well, then, you know, competition for places would be even even harder. So, yeah, that, that was the time that, the change happened. This is Motty Meets on Talk Sports with Ronnie Radford. The season that we're going to talk about now, 1971-72, was very special um, even before it started in the FA Cup's history because it was the centenary year. That's right. And Hereford United obviously started off um, in the qualifying rounds. I'm just going to run through the games, Ronnie. We can't talk about them all, but no. you beat you beat Cheltenham. Yep. Your old club. 3-0. Yeah, well done, well done. Then you had to play Kings Lynn, and that was a draw. Believe you me, John. In snow? That, that was the hardest game of our cup run. Kings Lynn away. And you drew. And we drew 0-0. Yeah. And then you got them back to Hereford. Yeah. The crowd amazes me. This is, this is We're talking about the first round. 7,758. And Tony Goff, who was your captain, scored the only goal of the replay. That's right. But the next round, this seemed to go on forever. You played Northampton Town and it went to three games. Three games it did. And um, our, our fans were absolutely brilliant. I think, I think all, all, all three games there were more Hereford supporters at them than there were the opponents. Like. But the game at, uh, at uh, West Brom, we played the replay, the, thir the, the, the third game. And... Um, we had we had a a league team really, and uh, we equalled Northampton on that day, and uh, had in fact most at play. They scored an early goal, and um, it got to within I think thirty seconds of of 
us losing one nil when up popped uh, Ken Malinder and yeah. um, you know scored the equaliser and uh, went into extra time. Dudley Tyler got the winner. Dudley. And Start. now Hereford were in the third round of the FA Cup for only the third time in their history. And the draw came out Newcastle United versus Hereford United. Newcastle at, United. At yep. St. James's Park. At St. James's Park. Wasn't quite Sunderland, but it were near enough. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I happened to go to that first game. I was doing a radio report. Really? Yeah, I was. I didn't know that, John. Well, not many people did because I'm, I'm always associated with the replay. But the tie was postponed twice due to heavy rain. Hereford took 5,000 fans to St. James's Park. That's right. And lo and behold, well, I couldn't believe this till I, till I checked it out. You took the lead after 17 seconds. 17 seconds, yeah. We kicked off and um, ball went down the right-hand side and uh, Ryan Owen, uh, magnificent centre-forward and with, along with Billy Meadows, he got the ball right on the, right on the corner of the 18-yard box. And we're all shouting to, to uh, Brian to, to hold it. But Brian Breen a natural goal scorer, just let fly. And it went right across McFall and stuck in the top of the net. And the ground went silent, apart from our lot then starting. And some of them hadn't got even in the ground by then. Well, I tell you what, big names coming up here. Malcolm McDonald from a penalty and John Tudor yep. then put Newcastle 2-1 in front. Yeah. But the man you had to thank for the equaliser was your player manager. That's it, Colin. One of the best strikers of a ball that you could wish to play with and um, hit it as sweet as a nut and, uh, you know, we put them back on the heels again. Well, it ended 2-2. It which did. Was a, that was a remarkable result before we get to the replay. Yeah. Um, but when we did, um, it was postponed three times. Yeah. Uh, I was sent as the junior commentator because the BBC thought this was a replay that was going to be a formality yeah. and it would make about three minutes at the end of match of the day. Yep. <laughs> but I went down on the Friday night with Ricky George and Billy Meadows because really? they were still living near me then and travelling down. Right. And I remember the car journey when they were giving me a, the rundown on every single Hereford player. Yeah. And your shooting prowess was mentioned. All right. Yes. And, and 14,000 people packed into the Hereford ground. Yeah. And I remember, Ronnie, the first time I met you, Colin Addison invited me to the pre-match lunch with the players. That's right. Which was a big honour for me in those days, my first season as a television Spread commentator. Eagle. The Spread, Spread Eagle. Eagle. And I sat down and Colin Addison said to me, John, I think a fried egg on top of the steak will do for you. That's right. Which is probably footballers' <laughs> sort of diet in those days, was it, Ronnie? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I enjoyed it. And I, then yeah. I, I got to the ground and they built a little commentary position purely for that day because, of course, Hereford didn't get the cameras very often, did they? Yeah. Demand for tickets was fantastic. And Newcastle United, they'd won the FA Cup six times. They went on to finish in the top half of the first division yes. that season. This was a team packed with internationals, Malcolm McDonald, of course, possibly being the most famous. So yeah. when you approached, although you'd drawn up there, yeah. did you give yourselves a real chance of beating them in the replay? Honestly, John, we nearly won it at Newcastle. Uh, Billy Meadows, he, he had a great header. It was late on in the game, and Ian McFall made a marvellous save, uh, which, in the end, made it better for Hereford because of the gate money on the replay. And, um, you know, we were in no fear at all. We, we were now a team who played with utter confidence and belief, and that's where Colin's strength came into it and his experience is that that's, that's the way he demanded that, that, that the club would play like. Now, this replay was postponed three times because three of times. the weather. Yes. And Newcastle and their players were marooned in down, Worcester. Uh, down in Worcester, weren't they? That's right. Had to go out and get clean clothes and everything. Yeah, we were at work. We were at work. Yeah. With no, no, no problems about thinking about the game because we we're all earning a living. And, um, you know, the pressure were really on Newcastle then. And uh, especially, it must have been when they came down and saw the slope at Edgar, Edgar Street. And um, honestly, John, we were really confident that we could get another result. Even if it were going to be only a draw, we felt that, that, that we could do it. 
Well, I'll tell you what, one man who was also very confident was Malcolm McDonald because he was predicting in the days leading up to the game how many goals he was going to score. That's right. And I can remember Colin putting uh, a newspaper clipping with that written that Malcolm says he's going to get 10. Like, you know, well, who needs any motivation with that on the wall? Well, he did get one. Yeah, he did. <laughs> in the a 80s, great goal. Yeah, header, 82nd minute. 82nd minute. And suddenly minute. The, the enthusiasm in the ground obviously dipped a bit then because everybody thought, well, that might be it. Now Green. Busby. Three in the penalty area. McDonald coming in. That's it. Eight minutes from the end, Newcastle break the deadlock. And now we're coming to the moment, well, the real reason why you're here in a way and why you've been a household name ever since. The 85th minute. 85. And my commentary says Tudor's gone down for Newcastle. He got an injury in a tackle. And then, I, and then I remember the ball rolling to you. Now, only you can really tell me how bad the pitch was. Yeah, it was, it was bad. I mean, the, down the sides, it were okay. But uh, it was really heavy, really heavy. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that, uh, you know, came out of that game was that we, if you look at, if you look at the film, we're running as as hard and as 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 much as Newcastle were. Yeah. Uh, you see Newcastle players with the socks rolled down and things like that. And we were just purely going on adrenaline. I can remember your commentary, legendary really, when Malcolm uh, scored his goal and you said, that's it. I did. And then I think it's, it's magic this because the crowd went silent and then it was though the crowd were responding to, to John, that's it. They, they didn't know that he'd said that at the time. But, and then the crowd got behind us and, um, you know, uh, there's another little bit coming up which involves you. And um, just before I went into the tackle, you said, this Hereford team is not giving up uh, easy. And I, I went into the tackle, scored the goal, and the next thing is your commentary there. This is George, the substitute. Oh, turning well. Malinder. Meadows heading it on. Tremendous spirit in this Hereford side. They're not giving this up by any means. Radford. Now Tudor's gone down for Newcastle. Radford again. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Radford, the scorer. Ronnie Radford. And the crowd... The crowd are invading the pitch, and now it will take some time to clear the field. What a tremendous shot by Radford. He got that ball back and hit it from well outside the penalty area, and no goalkeeper in the world would have stopped that. It fairly flew into the top corner of McFall's net. How did you feel as that ball, well, I won't say it bounced in the mud, it, but you know what I'm trying to say. How did you dig that shot out? I just, I just concentrated on... Connect, get in good contact with the ball. I didn't aim for anywhere except the goals. Uh, and I just kept my head down. And I think I got my technique all right and it just happened on the day. And um, Was it one know, of those when you hit it that you thought that's going in? That, actually, John, you don't see it on film, but it, the ball had got about halfway and I was starting my run. Really? Honestly. And, um, yeah, I knew, you know, that... You know, it were going in because I just followed it all the way. And then as it were going, I, I were off. And had you ever hit a better shot than that? Not that, no. I've had it similar goals, but not in them sort of situations, yeah. It was just one of them things that, um, you know, uh, you take Ken Malander, he, he were in front of goal and the ball bobbled and, and, and it went over. Uh, same with Alan Jones. It could have gone anywhere, but I just it just happened that I hit it and it it it, it just went in and and then we were off. We and were then, off. The, then the ground erupted. That's and it. And we've all seen the pictures of the crowd coming onto the pitch, which of course this was purely celebration. Yeah. When they ran on the pitch, oh. do, you, do you can you recall what your own personal emotions were? As you sort of saw it hit the roof, the net, and then as as you turned away, well, you were smothered by the other players. Well, I just felt elated, 
John. You know, I just, you know, that, I just couldn't believe it, like, that, you know, we were back in the game and um, the kids and everybody and that were absolutely brilliant. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Motty Meats on Talk Sports with Ronnie Radford. Now, this took the game into extra time because it was time. a replay. Yeah. And in extra time, a, a friend of ours that we both know very well, Ricky George, who was wearing number 12. Now, I must just tell people, in those days, Ronnie, there was only one sub. And your right back, Roger Griffiths, broke his leg. It in transpired. the first minute. In the yes, f- but nobody knew then. Nobody knew. No. Nobody knew. Strawberry played with it. Yeah. Amazing. Then that were the spirit in the team. That were that were Roger Griffiths. That were Hereford United. Roger no longer with us. No, unfortunately. No, and no. nor one of one of one of your other players. Yeah, Mike McLaughlin. Mike McLaughlin. Yeah. 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 But I'll give. I'll read the team in a minute. But when Ricky George came on, he did a little bit of fancy work on the left wing. I remember that because he was skillful player. Ricky he used he to was be a, a skillful junior, player. of course, yeah, that's right. and had played for a host of league clubs. Uh, and he then produced. The winning goal, which I think he wouldn't mind me saying, was a very different finish to yours, Ronnie. That's, that's right. And uh, I think it were a natural goal, goal scorer's uh, thing. And um, Ricky found space in the box. And um, I, I think he knew exactly what he were going to do when he hit it. I think he just knew that he had to hit it across the goalkeeper. Yes, he did. Because, uh, you know, obviously if the goalkeeper gets a hand and, mm. and that, that, again, is a, the striker that... Yeah. To, they when, do. When you look at that goal again, I think McFall, the goalkeeper, is a bit unsighted because Ricky managed to steer it through Bobby Monker's legs. legs. That's yeah. right. Billy Meadows. Away by Monker. Radford. Tyler. George. And that was 2-1 Hereford. Now, at that point, did you think, well, we've, we've done this. Newcastle won't come back from this. Or were there some anxious moments between then and the final whistle? Not, not really, because when, when, uh, when, we, when Newcastle scored, uh, if you look at the Newcastle players, they look as though there's a big relief and they're all, you know, feeling we've done it and that. And then when I scored the goal... If you look, when the crowd disperses, it were heads down. Newcastle players were thought, oh, no, you can tell by the body expressions that they'd gone. We were on top of, we got the top hand then, and, um, you know, our, our adrenaline just took us to where we got. Mattress. He must blow any second. Done it. 
I've got a couple of pictures of what the scene was like in the Hereford dressing yeah. room. Yeah. I mean, the celebrations <laughs> were, were, to say the least, uh, amazing. Uh, just to go through the, quickly through the team, for those people who might have memories of the game, Fred Potter, the goalkeeper, the late Roger Griffiths, Ken Malander, Alan Jones, Mick McLaughlin also passed away, Colin Addison, player-manager, Tony Goff, the captain, who I still see, by the way, Ronnie, yeah. occasionally, Dudley Tyler, who played for West Ham after that, yep. uh, Billy Meadows, well, Billy Meadows Hello. used to score about 40 goals a season. Broken nose, yeah. <laughs> broken nose, Billy. Brian Owen, who you've mentioned, and yourself, yeah. and of course, Ricky the Sub. Now, when those players got back in the dressing room, all sorts was going on. They were champagne, and chairman was coming in, and all the rest of it. And I was at the other side of the ground, having finished my commentary, and match of the day said, well, we've got to interview the key figures here. And they asked us to get Colin Addison, yourself, and Ricky George. In the middle of the pitch, stood in the mud. You were? <laughs> yes. And there were two very small boys with you, Ronnie. There were. There were Go my on. son, Gary. He was seven years old. And there was my son, David. He was five years old. And... Um, you know, they were stood holding my hand and uh, I think somebody must have said to you, like, about the children because uh, you said, are these your children, Ron? And I said, yes. And you said, oh, well, stay, let them stay there. Yeah, I think I actually took it upon myself to let, let them be there let, while let them be there, you were yeah. being interviewed. Now, your wife, Anne, who's with us yeah. today, yeah. who I've known because I know your family, it's said that she missed the goal. She did, actually. You're the, joking. Yeah, I'm not. She, she were in the stand. She were watching the game. And then our Gary she said, Mum. And she turned her head to see what our Gary wanted. And then she said something to him. And as she turned round, all the noise went up and the crowd and everything like that. And there were all everybody around me and she's jumping up and down and she says who scored it and my, my wife's friend said yeah Ronnie scored it <laughs> so I said you'll have to wait now till we, we see it tonight you know so yeah well it, of course see it tonight crikey this was this match was now promoted straight away to the main feature on match of the it day have, people yeah. tell me and it wouldn't be amiss this that 10 million people tuned in that night when they knew the result to see Match of the Day that, that night in February the 5th, 1972. That's I mean, That was an amazing uh, oh. story. And, and I remember driving back with Ricky George and Billy Meadows because we'd come together. Yeah. And we stopped at a petrol station and we were filling up with petrol and Ricky George always reminds me, I said to him, y you're all going to be heroes for years after this. And I don't think the impact of no, you, it had, had actually dropped with all of you yet, had Not, it? it? We didn't even think about that, John. None, none of us knew what was going to happen after that. I mean, I, and in fact, the thing that at the time was we knew who the next game was going to be. Now. Because the incentive was a home tie against West Ham. Correct. And of course, they, they were now waiting for you because you were around behind. Right. Now, before we get on to the West Ham game, I just want to say, I went back to Billy Meadows' house that night and had fish and chips because we were going to watch the programme together, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And I always remember uh, Billy Meadows' wife, Pat, had just bought the number one record in the hit parade. Right. You can't tell me what it was, can no, you? Can't. Well, I'll tell you, American Pie by American Don McLean. American Pie, Don McLean. Yeah, I've never forgotten no. that. I started singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye and singing, this'll be the day that I die. This'll be the day that I die. So anyway, the game at against West Ham was going to be at Hereford again. That's right. And 15,000 packed the ground again, and it finished in a nil-nil draw. Yeah. Um, and it was a quote from a friend, one journalist I know very well, because he was a contemporary of mine, Jeff Powell in the Daily Mail. Hereford blew a rich, ripe agricultural raspberry at West Ham and all the football they represent. Colin Addison's part-time has reduced West Ham to a rabble, <laughs> scrambling to prevent Hereford's historic FA Cup run, escalating into the sensation of our time. Oh, that's right. Should you have beaten them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
we well we were we were going in with plenty of confidence, but uh, you know you could tell when when they ran out onto the pitch and that, and uh, we were all looking to see what what the reaction would be, and um, yeah, it it was it was a. You couldn't divide the teams, honestly, no. John. You couldn't. Well, this is were the days of Bobby Moore, of course. But, well, Jeff Hurst, all the, all the Jeff Hurst, all the lot of them. Yeah, Billy Bonds. You know, yeah. Now it was also a period in Britain, and I've got to be careful here with my history. But I think we called it the three-day week. Three-day week. There was a, a strike, and and you couldn't get. You had to have petrol coupons to drive your car. That's right. I, I'm right, aren't I? And so the replay had to be played in the afternoon. That's it. At Upton Park, because yeah. they, they they weren't allowed to use the floodlights. No. Because of the strike, <laughs> and forty-two thousand people. That's right. I'll repeat that: forty-two thousand. 271 to be exact, packed Upton Park that Monday afternoon. I drove my car from the BBC into East London, thinking I wouldn't get to the ground in time. I tell you what, the Hereford team personally didn't get to the ground, did that, it? That's right. We, had, we, we stopped at the Britannia Hotel and we had a police escort in front of us and we got to within a quarter of a mile at, uh, of the ground and we couldn't move any further because the just the crowds were just, you know, throw, it were just a mass of people, uh, and so we had to get off the bus and get into the ground, you know, before half past two. You know, we didn't have to we didn't have to think about the the game. We all we were bothered about is getting to the ground. Well, Ricky George wrote a book sometime after that uh, about his career and about the fact that he had a hand in the well had a sharing a horse that won the Grand National. His book, yeah. book was called One Goal, One Horse. And he wrote a chapter about the, the, what you've just described, that was chaos and, the, the, you know, that everybody seemed to be there trying to see the game. And apparently special trains were put on, a film crew recorded all the fans in their black and white and, I don't know, the film Cup Glory was later released that year to celebrate 100 years of the FA Cup because, of course, right. we were still in that centenary season. Exactly, yeah. And uh, scenes never to be forgotten. And uh, there were, I, I don't know how many people got locked out, but I know all the girls, the wives, they didn't get into the ground until 20 minutes. The game had been started. Really? It had been started and it was 20 minutes gone before they got into ground. That's a story, isn't it? Well, it, you held them um, yeah. until nearly half-time. That's right. And then Jeff Hurst? Big Jeff Hurst, yeah. Yeah, the man. And um, we had a little bit of a shuffle round in the team. And, um, you know, uh, uh, they they had this, this big lad, uh, you know, playing out wide. And um, Tony were right back. Yes, uh, he gone when he did ever so well, didn't he? When Tony when, off, when yeah. Tony when Roger went off, and um, they seemed to play nearly all the time down the left hand side, and I think the three goals came from the left hand side. Well, and, yeah, yeah, Jeff, no, yes, yeah. Jeff went on to complete a hat trick yeah, actually. Yeah, um, in That's fact, right. Ricky George joked afterwards. Jeff Hurst saved his hat trick for the big games. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Having scored the one in the World Cup final, my goodness. Um, so, so you were you were three down, but I think there was one last. Uh, strike by the Giant Killers. Billy Meadows came up with a goal, didn't he? We're absolutely delighted for Billy because he's playing in London. He's a London guy. And, um, you know, he hadn't scored in the Cup up until then, you know, of that season. And Billy were a prolific goal scorer wherever he played. And I'm sure, you know, the he must have had a wonderful feeling having scored that goal at West Ham. And uh, we were all pleased for him. Well, I came back to the hotel with you, the Britannia, and I remember that the sort of the, the feeling in the team was a bit mixed, really, because half of you, I think, thought, "Well, haven't we done well, you know, in this cup run?" And, and then the other half thought, "Well, maybe with a bit of luck, it might, if you'd taken one or two chances, you might you might have won again." Yeah, yeah. I think the best team won, obviously, on the day, John, and um, you know we give it as best shot. And um, I think we finished the game with pride and, and we knew we'd give it everything we got. Well, the story didn't end there, did it? No, it didn't. My no. word. You finished second in the Southern League. 
Yeah. And you earned a place in the Football League at the expense of Barrow. Barrow. So suddenly, only a few months after the Newcastle game, you were now a league club. That's right. I think it went to a ballot, actually, John, didn't it? The, yes, the... it, wasn't, it wasn't automatically the last team no. that didn't get voted out, but, yeah. but Barrow did get voted out, That's you right. know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and, and you got voted in, yeah. uh, partly, I think. You got you were second behind Southport actually. Yeah. Um, the second year because I want to go onto that in a minute. But I think you got into the league in the first place off the back of the cup run, really. Yeah, I think you? so. Yeah. And then in the following season, seventy two, seventy three, um, you finished second behind Southport and you won promotion in your first season. That's right. That so that was back from the old Division Four to Division Three. Yeah. But well, look at look at the confidence we had going into that season. We didn't actually start off too well, really, because I think in the first six games, with well, I think we'd won a couple, but you know we were just something missing. And uh, Colin, um, you know, he went into the transfer market and um, he got big Eric Redrobe there from from Southport. Big centre forward, yeah. yeah, yeah, and changed this, you know, the way the pattern we played, yeah. And from that moment on, we we just you know uh, you know got a little bit better and better and more confident and uh, yeah, it were another magical season. This is Motty Meets on Talk Sport with Ronnie Radford. Well, now people often say to me, "What happened to Ronnie Radford after he left Hereford?" Because you actually stayed there until 1974. Yeah, and then. Player manager of Worcester City. Yeah, I'd played all the season in the third division. Uh, it got to about March. Uh, and um, they actually wanted everybody to go full-time. I, w- I was still part-time. I was playing every week. And, um, you know, the money that I was making from playing and doing my job, uh, I, d- I didn't really want to give it up again. And, um, and so I said, well, I'll think about it. And while I was thinking about it, uh, Worcester City came and asked me if I'd, um, if I would like to have an interview for being player manager there. And um, so I went along and uh, I said, yeah, I'll have a go. I'd, I'd already started my coaching badges and I got the first one. And uh, yeah, I spoke to Annie and my family and they said, yeah, if it's what you want to do, then do it. Uh, so I had a go and, um, you know, uh, actually we're doing quite well. But then a little bit of the politics came into it with regards to what manager's duties are. And, and I soon realised that that weren't for me. It wasn't for you, sir. No. But listen, it wasn't the end of Ronnie Radford because that goal continued to be shown every time the FA Cup third round came round and many other occasions as well. Yeah. And... You remain well. I know you later. Actually, I think you played for Bath City. I went to Bath City. Yeah, Mr. Stead, the manager. I think if you we were at Swindon. Oh, Bert Head. Bert Head was the oh, manager. Oh my word, Crystal Palace as well. Uh, yes, I remember. Apparently, Bert, yeah. he got in touch with Colin and he he made some inquiries about me and you know and that and so uh, he invited me to go and play for them and um, yeah. So I, I thought, well, this is my last stop. I'll give it a go. But unfortunately, I got an Achilles tendon right. strain and then I got a hamstring pull. First one in my life, really. And it would me- it would have meant me being, you know, off work for quite a while. So I was 32, I think, at the time, 33. And I just decided that was time to give it up. But of course, the friendship, not ju- I'm not just talking about ours, but the, the Hereford team's friendship was maintained in a very kind of, uh, well, I can't find the right words, really, but the loyalty that each one felt for the other. Oh. And Colin Addison, the player manager, made sure that there was a reunion nearly every year. Every year. I came to most of them. Yeah, that's right. You were our 13th man. That's what they called Everybody me. Everybody called you, John, <laughs> the 13th man. And believe it or not, you know, we've kept that going right until the today, haven't we, John? We have, and, and I came so many times that I drive down. And, you of have. course, before you lost the two lads, um, the whole team was there every yeah. year. Yeah. And uh, all sorts of 
nice evenings and some with the wives, some not. It was a it was a fantastic relationship that yeah. you all had, hadn't you? What was it about the character of that team that made you all stick together for so many years afterwards? I think players, you know, over the years they they play for different teams and that and and I think some of us are lucky enough to play in a team that absolutely is 100% for each other. And that doesn't happen in a lot of players' lives, but us, it, it just meant it were like a family. And from that day on, uh, all his families have kept in touch, you know, and it's ju just one of them things that, uh, you know, it, it just happens and, you know, we're pleased that it did, obviously. Well, I'll tell you what, not only did you stay in the public consciousness, but you you were honoured by the FA. And, and I'm, I find this quite, not hard to believe because I'm thrilled about it, but when you think the game was in 1972, it was in the 2010-11 season, yeah. years later, that the FA introduced the Ronnie Radford Award. Yeah. I'll leave you to explain that. Well, I, got, I get this phone call and it was, it's... It, I forget who the guy was, but he just said, oh, he said, uh, is that Ronnie Radford? And I said, yeah. And he said, oh, I'm, I forget his name. I apologise. But he said, uh, oh, he said, uh, we've got a proposal for you. Um, the thinking of doing a, a cup for the giant killers every every week, like every year. And I said, oh, yeah. And um, they said, um, would you be prepared to you know be the 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 one where we put the name to uh, and call it the Ronnie Radford Giant Killers Cup yeah and I said to him who is this because I thought it were one of the lads winding me oh, up oh I see and I said to him come on now uh, he says no no honestly I'm, I'm from the FA and I said yeah yeah uh, yeah I said, come on, who is it? I can't, I can't recognise your voice. but And I honestly thought it was somebody winding me up. And when he said it wasn't and I, it sunk in, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, you can't ever anticipate something like that. So every year since then, the FA have brought you down to the cup final and you've made the award on the pitch? On the pitch, yeah. You dream of Wembley. If you can't play on it, then walking on it is a wonderful honour. And I've walked on it this last, is it seven years or so, yeah? And, yeah, it is. And every time, and I know when they've brought people down uh, who are going to receive the award, I said, let's just go on the pitch and do it because you can always say you've stood on Wembley pitch, like, you know, and we do, we do it at the side of the pitch, like, you know. And uh, not this last year, but the year before, funny it was, but we're all stood there waiting, half time, they're doing the interviews, and they put the sprinklers on and we all got soaked wet through. Goodness <laughs> me. Now, great that you've got that honour to still go there, but what about souvenirs, Ronnie? Did you keep anything from the original Newcastle game? I don't A think... shirt or...? Well, my shirt, my... my... My boots were falling apart before the game, <laughs> but I, I patched them up and um, they finished up in bin because at the time we just took it as another game. We didn't realise about, you know, that we'd ever, you know, somebody would want us boots or anything like that. Things like that, you know, were never going to happen to us, were it? And um, no, I didn't. The shirts were changed and kept nothing really, only the programmes. Only the programs. No, only the programs. Okay. Yeah. I remember coming down to Hereford not so many years ago when they brought the FA Cup back. Oh, yeah. And you all had your pictures taken and. With you? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but it was a fantastic thing because they, they kind of put the FA Cup in a hotel lounge and the streets were packed. Packed? They and, were. It, and it was, well, the close it was 30, off. 35 years or whatever since the game. Yeah, yeah. I can remember walking around. We all had us. Heavy coats on because it will winter, won't yeah. it? But uh, they still turned out, and that's the Hereford people. They just love the football. We ought to also say, Ronnie, that the club itself has been through a few tough times since then. I mean, obviously, dropping out the Football League, 
uh, and then, unfortunately, Hereford United folded, really, didn't they? Yeah, very um, sad, really. Some bad yeah. mismanagement behind the scenes, not in the football sense, but business-wise. And then, of course, the, the new club, Hereford FC, just grew out of that sort of the embers of that, and, and, and had some fairly good years recently with a number of promotions. That's right. I mean, I, I remember doing an interview after they closed and, and they said, what do you think will happen now? I said, well, the Hereford people will make something happen. I said, because as long as I can remember, Hereford United, because of its location, had a wonderful crowd base because Newport were 40 odd and 50 miles away, Shrewsbury were, and they seemed to just love their football teams. And, um, you know, I, I had no doubt at all that uh, if they did get a new team, they would have the same, you know, support. That they've had. Well, in fact, they got to Wembley in the FA Vars final, didn't they, one year? That, that's a memorable moment for me, John, because on the Saturday I came down to uh, present the cup on a Saturday and we stayed overnight to watch Hereford on the Sunday. And I can remember going from the hotel, me and Annie, and, um, you know, we dro- the uh, taxi dropped us off at but Wembley Way, and all we could see were this mass of white shirts, and there were 20-odd thousand of white shirts apparently there. And um, as we got up to it, you know, I was starting to feel, because we got tickets to sit with the supporters, I was starting to feel what it, it felt like to be a supporter, the expectations and everything like that. And then when we got in the ground and saw all these white shirts and... It was an amazing experience because my thoughts went straight back to what it must have felt like in the crowds that day at Hereford when we were having our day. And, um, you know, uh, I'll never forget that. Do you still keep in touch with anybody from the team? Yeah, I do. We keep in touch with most of them. We all exchange Christmas cards always. Um, Colin... Magnificent, really. It, it keeps everybody contacted, and um, yeah, we we uh, we still get in touch by phone with some of them, and um, yeah, it's I'd, we'll never let that go. And uh, obviously, you must have a recording of the game or the highlights. Yeah, got a, got a little bit of the highlights. Yeah, yeah. yeah and do you, yeah. do you do you occasionally? Annie plays it every week. <laughs> I was going to say, do you occasionally? Annie's watch got that? a mobile phone now. <laughs> that she she can be watching Coronation Street and then put this phone on and she's reliving it because there's several things now on 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 to computer that you can watch and she plays through them all. Bless Wonderful. her. Wonderful. I mean, I remember you said you when the minute you hit it, you knew it was going in and you know, funny it did a great deal for my career. Obviously, being at that John, game. you were always going to be a no, success. No, well, I, I had a lot to be thankful for that, yeah, that, well, that match happened in front of me in my early days. And you know I, what I always say to people? They say, what did you think when Ronnie Radford hit that ball? And I'll let you into a little secret. If you listen to my commentary carefully, when, you, when I say, what a goal, yeah. there's a slight hesitation after the water because as it screamed through the air, I thought... It might possibly hit the bar or the post. And and then I said goal, obviously. Yeah. And I've often looked back over the years, because as I say, I, it did so much for me, sort of launched my television career, if you like. And I often thought to myself, supposing... The, well, he wouldn't have saved it. It was too good a shot. But supposing, hypothetically, McCall had saved it or it had hit the bar or the post and come out. I've often thought, and people have often said to me, what do you think would have happened to your career if that goal hadn't been scored? And I have to be fair, Ronnie, I always say, well, I don't like thinking about it because it meant so much to me because that match being promoted to the top of the show meant that people heard my name, probably a lot of them for the first time. And then at the end of that season, I got a little bit of promotion because I was only on trial that year from radio. And that game... And the impact it had with my voice on it helped me more than anything else, possibly, to get a full-time contract with BBC Television. Yeah. So that's why I'm so pleased about talking to you about it, because it it meant, in my own way, in my own field, it meant as much to me, probably, as as it did to 
those of you that took part in the game. Well, you'll know how we all felt then, John, <laughs> because because we all had the same feeling. And, um, you know, the 13th man will never be forgotten among Hereford people, all the players. And, um, you know, every success that you've had, you've deserved it. And um, I hope you'll look forward now to, to doing what you're doing. And um, we will never forget you. Well, and Listen, football will never forget Ronnie Radford, let me tell you. That remains how I started this, talking about the most iconic goal. It does remain for me, for personal reasons, that. But also, football fans everywhere don't need to be told what the name Ronnie Radford means because that goal must have been shown and re-shown more times than any other goal that I can remember. And I'm talking about England, I'm talking about the World Cup, I'm talking about goals that won European trophies. That screamer, was it 40 yards, Ronnie? Can you, can you be accurate about that? Accurately, I think you could knock 10 yards off that. Well, <laughs> it let's, was near enough. Yeah. Let's call it 40. Yeah. Let's call it 40, 40 because that's how it that's seems it. to me when I look back on it, mate. I'll tell you. Well, I tell you what, they've dug a piece of square out of the pitch and sold it, so did, did, it must have been somewhere there. Yeah. Did they really? I didn't oh, know. yeah, there's lots of things that's happened, John, that yeah. you wouldn't believe. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you because we shared so much and thank you very much for being one of the uh, interviewees on our Talk Sports series here called Motty Meets. John, it's an honour and a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you, Ronnie. The undisputed world heavyweight champion of football commentators in another knockout interview, Motty Meets on Talk Sport. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.